This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 36, in which first-time guest and Anglo-Australian hepatologist James O'Byrne joins Louise Campbell, old friend Naeem Al-Khoury, and me to discuss James's recent Locate Naples study to evaluate strategies for and the value of recruiting high-risk referrals through primary care practices, plus a vault episode from last November addressing the psychology of diet decision-making. This conversation starts with Louise Campbell discussing some of the improvements in patient motivation and compliance that can result from FibroScan when administered in specialty sites. I asked Louise and James O'Byrne how they see practical implementation of a study like Locate NAFL in other countries. Louise speculates on how this might work in third world countries where there are large distances between communities and concludes it is quite feasible when dietitians and other allied professionals conduct the scans. Naeem Al-Khoury discusses the extensive free scan program that Arizona Liver Health offers patients. James notes that one element of the design is that it can provide cost analysis to demonstrate cost effectiveness and generate public funding in single-payer countries. Naeem identifies limitation in the design and ways they may be ameliorated over time, and as the conversation winds down, James notes that one cost saving might come from reducing treatment for patients who do not have high risk of disease. This podcast does not report much on study from Australia, which is an environment with some unique challenges that other developed markets would do well to study more and understand better. This episode and its conversation covered parallels between Oz and the Western countries, and as a result, items the Western markets can take away when reviewing these results. It's quite a lot to digest and very exciting to consider, so sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. That's interesting because most people who have a fiber scan, and I don't know whether you've got the data, what we see, and Naeem will be able to comment on it, is that they improve their behavior and they reduce their liver fat, for example. And therefore, their quality of life in sleep usually improves first and then mood and energy levels. But you took cap data. Are you able to sub-analyze the cap data and be able to look at how many people improved within the 12 months? Do you have that yet? James O'Byrne. We don't have that yet because, you know, that, that again is, is sort of part of a, another paper, as it were. Uh, we did collect cap on everybody and we'll, we'll yet to analyse that, I'm afraid. Because mm-hmm. that'll be an interesting one to see whether or not that intervention and uh, sort of improved those qualities of life. You're right about that with the nurses. When people have got more time in clinic, and this is the problem if you put it into a primary care setting where a doctor's only got five minutes, you're not going to be able to just do a test. It's going to add. So specialist um, clinics are probably definitely the way to go for me. Roger Green. So, Louise, I was thinking about that as I was listening to James and I was asking myself, so what do we infer from that for when you when you leave Australia and you go to countries that have maybe slightly larger specialty populations, but at the same time, a greater push on clinical care pathways, the challenges in motivating primary care sites. And what I mean, James made the point earlier, I think, or before we started about the about in the presence of absence of drugs, that might be two very different phenomena. But I'm, I'm wondering how easy or difficult you envisage it being to motivate primary care sites, A, in the absence of medication, and how best to do that. And then how rapidly you think that would change for primary care were the sites that were a little bit less motivated in the presence of medication. And James, I know I'm asking you to speculate wildly, but um, what the heck, it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah. The future I see of this this type of model is I think it needs to be run by dedicated secondary care organizations or teams reaching out from secondary care centers rather than really giving it the whole responsibility to, to primary care, I think. That works for a primary care level. It works you know, for FIB4, say, but we know now from a couple of papers that FIB4 doesn't work in 
in your diabetic population and you usually need a second stratification test. So I, I can see no reason why, you know, you wouldn't want to have it based in the hospital reaching out to different primary care settings as a, a sort of standalone organisation rather than, you know, because not every primary care practitioner is going to be able to have a fibre scan in the office. I'm sure Ecosense would love that, but the reality is I don't think that's going to happen. I would differ from James slightly, obviously, because what we do is we just provide fibre scan into areas of Australia, into areas of the UK, so that you don't need to, I suppose, and one of my questions was, how much did this take away from your nursing resource to be able to do in 10 days? Because clinics we have here, we just can't release our nurses that time unless they're dedicated research nurses, which we don't have, which is what we try and encompass by saying you don't need that. So I've been up to Borolula. I know I can put a fibre scan clinic up there. I can put one in Hellsgate Roadhouse. I know exactly where it is and how to get there. And most people do. But it's it, there, there are certain ways. But I think if we were to talk about other countries, you were talking about clinics there that were 800 kilometres away. When we talk about doing this in the UK, we're not talking about doing any we're near that distance but we seem to struggle on the concept of we can provide this into primary care without it being too difficult. I think for third world and lower income countries I think where you can upskill if you don't have nurse specialists to be able to do this but dietetics, dietitians and skilled practitioners in different ways then it's something that can be utilised if we don't have the physicians to be able to do it. The potential to roll this type of model out into big distances or concentrated populations with community hubs, for example, what you've shown that you can do that quite quickly with a precise mechanism to do so. Was that right? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I quite like your idea of empowering the dietitians to be quite a great, uh, quite a good thing, part of overall metabolic health, wouldn't it? When they do their measurements to just do a fibre scan at the same time if they had access to it. I quite like the idea of having those sort of metabolic health hubs would probably be quite good for, for diabetes and obesity. Naeem, you go out, don't you, with your fibre scans? How do you find it? Naeem Alkuri. We have a free fibre scan program. We advertise in the Phoenix and Tucson areas. Any patient can call a certain number and get a free fibre scan. We try to focus on patients with type 2 diabetes, obesity, people, you know, at risk for muscles. We also uh, partnered with PhD at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and he goes to mainly uh, Mexican-American families, and they actually scan the entire family as part of a program called Nosotros. And uh, I think the uptake has been great. And what they do, they utilize the same cut point of eight uh, kilopascals. And these are the patients that come to my clinic. And then everyone with values less than that, they reassure them and just uh, provide some counseling about lifestyle intervention and managing metabolic syndrome for the most part. And patients like it. Uh, I think we identify some good candidates for clinical trials this way. I think it will become definitely more relevant when you have FDA and EMA approved medications where you can actually and people that fail a lifestyle intervention start a medicine that can potentially uh, change the natural history of the disease. We are working also on having our own Arizona liver health minivan where we can do the fiber scan but also test for hepatitis C and B so it's kind of like a comprehensive liver testing station so uh, we'll see that should be happening next year. We also started some viral elimination centers 
partners. We, you know, go to community events. We test for hepatitis C and do fiber scan to screen for NAFLs. So I think there's definitely appetite for all these uh, outreach activities and we've had good success with it. Uh, that sounds excellent. And I think you're right. It makes sense, doesn't it, to, to get the fiber scans out of the hospitals into these at-risk groups, especially diabetes. We've got another project looking at fiber scanning community diabetes clinics, you know, with staggeringly high rates of people with advanced or, or high-risk fiber scan readings. So the one thing that we wanted to do, and the reason why this is a randomized trial, is because all of this is going to cost money, you need to be able to do the RCT to show that A, it works, and B, then you can do the cost effectiveness analysis to show that it's cost effective, which I'm sure it is. We would hope that we will have that data, you know, very soon and be able to sort of put some flesh on the bones of this primary analysis to be able to, to show that. And then we can start funding all of these programs and get them, you know, rather than being exemplars of great practice, but to become business as usual. It's a little bit uh, tricky to establish cost effectiveness, even when we have FDA approved medications, because it's going to be conditional approval based on histology. And we will not have the outcomes data for a few years um, after FDA approval. Part of me, I worry about, you know, over medicalizing certain populations, especially with the issues related to fiber scan. And there is definitely some documented stories about, you know, doctors going in the community offering screening programs that will lead to unnecessary procedures and interventions. We just need to be aware of this and also realize that even if we have an FDA approved medication next year, that it's really difficult to establish cost effectiveness until we understand how this affects the natural history of the disease. It doesn't mean that uh, we surrender and not do these things. I'm just saying that we need to be aware of the limitations and every test has issues. I mean, we, we're talking about fiber scan elastography. Obviously, there's competing technologies that may become cheaper in the future, whether it's Velocure or the hepatoscope or, you know, even a basic ultrasound machine that has elastography capacity, uh, but also some of the serologic tests like ELF and potentially the NIST2. I think these may also help streamline it. And then just realizing that uh, you just need to have access to one of these technologies. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a pathway to expedite referral to a specialty clinic that will do further investigations. So I think, you know, just some points to keep in mind. I agree with that. But I would also say that some of the cost effectiveness comes from being able to reassure people quickly that they don't need further assessment in secondary care. And you will save all that cost of that ongoing further assessment and testing, etc. And including the opportunity costs of people having to take time off work to come to a, a hospital appointment and have essentially a procedure or testing that can be done very effectively and quickly in the community. So I think there's definitely cost effectiveness to be had in that setting. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another challenging topic. Till then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Surfing Nash.